Hey, powerhouse. I have a very special invitation just for you. I would love to invite you to the Powerhouse Lawyers Retreat happening September 27th through October 1st in beautiful Ocean Isle, North Carolina. The Powerhouse Lawyers Retreat is a life-changing experience that every single woman in law not only deserves, but needs. It's a four-night getaway in a luxurious oceanfront home with all of your needs taken care of in a house full of other powerhouse women who want the exact same things as you. It's more than a mastermind and more than a community and more than just networking connections. Powerhouse Lawyers Retreat is like nothing that's ever been done before in the legal profession. The only words that I can come up with to describe it are life-changing. And if you don't believe me, just ask any of the past attendees who describe it as lightning in a bottle. One of the best experiences of their life, changing the entire trajectory of their career and a solid differentiation point between life before and after the retreat. One thing is for sure, your life and you will never be the same. So come join us September 27th through October 1st in Ocean Isle Beach, North Carolina. Spots are limited, so go grab yours. Head on over to eringuerner.com slash powerhouse hyphen lawyer hyphen retreat. See you there. I didn't have any pictures of my kids in my office. I never talked about my kids. If I had to go to a pediatrician appointment, I told them my arm was falling off. I wasn't leaving for soccer games. I was not talking about my kids. Are you an ambitious attorney who wants to build a life and career that you cannot wait to wake up for? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Powerhouse Lawyers, a podcast for the powerhouse in each of us. I'm your host, Erin Gurner, a former lawyer, wife, mom, and life coach. And I am on a mission to empower women in the law to define success on their terms by leveraging their unique superpowers to help them win in both law and life. Join me each week to hear inspiring stories, real talk, and the practical tips you need to redefine the toxic narratives that are keeping women overwhelmed trying to do it all. You are worthy and capable of building a life and career that you have always wanted. And I'm here to empower you along the way. So if you're ready to practice law differently, let's go. Welcome back to Powerhouse Lawyers, everybody. I'm your host, Erin Gerner, and I am so excited to welcome our next guest. She is an amazing writer, has become a friend. Her name is Amy M. Pelizzeri. And I just cannot wait for you guys to hear her story. I will never forget getting off the phone with her and just being like, you have to come on my podcast. My (laughs) viewers need to hear your story. And she's an amazing author of a book that I'm in the middle of. So Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Erin. I feel the same about you. I'm so thrilled. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, you guys, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Amy before we get started. And I'm just going to kind of let her take the wheel. So Amy is a reformed corporate litigator. 
former startup executive and an award-winning author of fiction and nonfiction. In a recently starred review, Kirkus Reviews compared the first installment of Amy's latest legal drama, The River's Edge Law Club book series. I love this to Big Little Lies and called it Crackling Courtroom Drama. Amy, I need to read this book. This is amazing. <laughs> Amy is also the co-author of How to Leave the Law, which I have been reading and is amazing. It's right here if you're with us on YouTube. It's featured in Bloomberg Law, Boston Business Journal, and more. She's also the author of Lawyer Interrupted, published by the American Bar Association. She's a tall poppy writer, a past president of Women's Fiction Writers Association, a 2018 writer in residence at MSJD.org, a recipient of the Miss J.T.'s Road Last Traveled Award, and a faculty speaker at Drexel University MFA Creative Writing Program, and is a frequently invited speaker at legal conferences and creative workshops. I can imagine why. I mean, <laughs> do we need to end the podcast now? My Lord have mercy. Amen. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. So much you. They just heard all about you, but please tell all of our viewers where you started, how you got here, why you went to law school, all the things. Yeah. Well, thank you for that introduction. Yeah, it's very funny. I mean, I started college with one professional goal. I wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't have any plan B. That was where I was headed. And I was on a straight line path there. And I was a writer. I loved creative writing. I took creative writing classes in college alongside my you know, pre-law track. And then at some point, I just decided that I actually got some advice from an older friend who had started law school already, who was sort of like, what are you doing with like all this creative writing and pre-law? Like you have to like pick a track and you're kind of like spreading yourself too thin. And he said to me, you know, when you're a lawyer, you have to learn how to write in your client's voice, not in your own voice. And that really struck me. And instead of being horrified by that, I was like, okay, I'm going to box up my voice, literally. And I literally boxed up my in Rubbermaid bins, like all my journals and all my my creative writing exercises. And I just put that whole part of me away. And I went to law school and I started my law career in Washington, D.C. And I practiced law for about 15 years, including a decade in big law in New York City. And it was on paper, everything I had set out to do, but I was all along the way questioning, questioning and feeling not fulfilled. And I kept thinking the next thing was going to fix that feeling for me, the next success, the next trial, the next paycheck. And eventually in 2009, I was offered after Lehman Brothers collapsed, my firm instead of laying off, did um, subsidized sabbaticals. And I was offered an opportunity to apply for this subsidized sabbatical. And I just considered it like a gift from the universe and a one year, you know, basically like a one year ticking clock to figure out what my next chapter was going to be. And I threw myself into that sabbatical year with all the gusto I could possibly do. And by the end of the year, I had figured out a way to not go back to that life. And I had started a book. I didn't leave the law to write books, but I had started a book in addition to some of the other adventures that you mentioned in my intro. That's amazing. I was actually reading a portion of your book yesterday where you talk about how law school basically just snuffs out all of our creativity, right? Because we are yeah. only taught to observe things a certain way, to analyze them a certain way, to write about them a certain way. Like if you've ever read anything that's legal, like if you don't go cross-eyed after like the second sentence, the average person, they're not writing for entertainment value to like make you feel special or good. Like right. nothing. We were talking about just the basics and then a bunch of quoted something or other, right? It's a lot. 
And so yeah. you had to be able to like, it probably was once you were able to shut off that big law noise and like tune back into the right side of your brain during that sabbatical that just like turned on the faucet and it couldn't be turned off again. Well, yeah. And the funny thing is, one of the first things I did when I left the law is I found my way to this. I did a, a lot of different things that year. I'm saying yes to a lot of different things to really experiment. And one of the things I did was I joined this startup company in a very small role. I was doing freelance writing for them, but I was insinuating myself into staff meetings and whatever else I could be around so I could kind of learn more about the company because the company was working with women entrepreneurs and women inventors to help market their stories. And I started meeting so many lawyers turned designers, lawyers turned inventors. And I kept thinking to myself, wow, it's just so interesting like that all these people really had this creative side, but they ended up in the law because I always sort of thought the two were mutually exclusive. But when I, all of these really creative lawyers and sort of looked inward at myself, I started to realize that the law actually attracts very creative people, right? And you're sold this idea that it's going to be a creative field and creative solutions and that is not what law school is about. Law school is not about exercising your creativity. It's, it, you know, I call it in the book and elsewhere, the last legal pyramid scheme, because it is, you know, I find hilarious, by the way, like I was like, not to drop the mic. I got sounds like it's so funny. Because the, the purpose is to churn out the bottom rungs of, you know, people to for the bottom rungs of law firms. And when you actually get out in the world away from big law, and you start meeting happy lawyers, which do exist, but guess who they are? They're lawyers who own their own practice, are in small firms, are closest to the end product, which is something that you are absolutely discouraged from doing when you're in law school, right? Opening your own law firm is the thing you do if you don't get another job, which is ridiculous because they're the happiest lawyers. They're the ones with the most longevity. And we're being sold a bill of goods in law school being told that the only thing we can do is go, you know, go to the biggest law firm that you can basically get hired for. So that has become definitely my mission from the mountaintop since I've left. <laughs> I, exactly. Like is, as much as I will like die on the hill of like community of women in the law, you will die on the hill of sure. that. Like, yes, yes, I will for sure. So you also became a mom while you were in the law and practicing yeah. law. And honestly, Amy, when you told me this story, my jaw was on the ground because A, I wasn't surprised and B, I was floored. It's like, can you even be more yeah. not shocked and shocked at the same time? But it was one of those stories and you write about it in the book too. And I just really want you to share it with our viewers because to me, it like strikes home everything that is wrong and that women struggle with in the law and like that we have to change. Yeah, I had the audacity to have three children while I was practicing big law. And we are not talking about the 1950s. We're talking about in 2003, 2005, and 2008. I had three children. But in order to have those three children and still keep my job, there was no formal maternity leave policy and there was no formal part-time policy. But I wanted to buck that trend. And nobody in my department was doing what I was doing having babies and coming back to work. So I went to the partner I worked for. I worked out a secret deal, basically, that he asked me not to publicize, that I would take, you know, so much time off, unpaid time and time accrued. And then I would come back and I would be off the partnership track and I would take a pay cut and I would work three to four days in the office and additional billable time away from the office. 
And I wouldn't have to be on, I, I used to travel a lot. So I hadn't, that was like a big thing that I was able to win is that I was not going to be asked to travel. And so I didn't get put on the best cases, but I was really grateful. And I never, I didn't have any pictures of my kids in my office. I never talked about my kids. If I had to go to a pediatrician appointment, I told them my arm was falling off. Like there was no way I wasn't leaving for soccer games. I was not talking about my kids. And it was a very like hush hush thing. And I remember the partner used to say to me every year when I come in for my review, you're doing a great job. Nobody would ever know you have kids. And if you want to come back to the partnership track and come back in the office at five to seven days again, then, you know, just let us know. But I was like, no, I, I, I got this all figured out. I mean, when I left, my kids were two, four and six. And that was like a very startling kind of realization. I mean, people in theory knew I had kids, but we really didn't talk about it. We did not talk about it. That is absolutely wild to me. Like that, I mean, it, yeah. and again, I know that that is a reality. I've heard yeah. that, but I guess it's like me, yeah. the fact that you did not talk about your kids and like hid your pregnancy. And I hear you talk about, I had so much gratitude and you're probably looking back being like, I can't believe that I was scraping for my life yeah. here to get my job. And I was feeling gratitude yeah. that I yeah. got to be a mom, right? That I was, yeah that I was able to work out a secret deal on the side so I could still be a mom and a kick-ass lawyer. I know that there's not like an answer, right? But like, what do we do in 2023 about this as women? Yeah, Is it up to us as obviously individuals, you know, because we see it's not changing from the big down. We have to do the opposite of what I did, which is not be quiet about it. And, you know, I, I have the luxury now on the outside to be loud about it. And I'll tell you, I was just at a reception last week, went back to my old law firm, haven't been back there in a long time. And they're celebrating their 75th anniversary. And I went back and I got in a conversation with a friend who had been, who was a colleague of mine when I was there. He has since made partner. And we got into a conversation about women at the law firm. And I said, you know, I'm happy to hear that things are progressing. And we sort of were talking about ideas, like how can those within the walls sort of help and he said to me, well, I think uh, the law firm is Scadden. I mean, people will know it. It's in my bios everywhere. So the law firm is Scadden. He said, well, I think Scadden's always been a very progressive place for women. And I said, you're joking, right? And he was like, no, it's always been. And I said, it hasn't been. It hasn't been. And, and I thought, see, the reason people are still allowed to say that is because people like me let them say it then. And I refuse to let anybody say it now, right? So there's changes that need to be made and we have to advocate for them. And and the women on the inside are still afraid. They're still afraid of losing their jobs and losing their perks and losing their cases and their respect. The culture has been very slow to change on the inside. So I think we have to keep being noisy about it. I do. Yeah, and I sense to a real rising of women in the law. I don't know if, if it's because I am so much in the fold of this now and of this movement and feel so passionately about empowering uh, women inside those four walls to do this differently and to know that there's an option to do it differently because I didn't know that I had another option. I I wish I had had a sabbatical. You know what I mean? Like I just think about all of the things I know now. Well, it's true. There is a rising women and I see it and I feel it and we have to keep advocating for them for sure. Yes, that's what I was going to say, but I sense it so much with every woman that I talked to and I've found not only in you, but this other, you know, these so many other women in this community that want the same things. And it's, you know, the old saying, like rising tides lift all boats. I mean, I truly think the louder that we get, 
um, yeah. the more people will have to listen because, I mean, the numbers don't lie. Like the majority of law students are women. And we don't have to keep working for people who don't appreciate what we have to bring to the field. We don't have to keep doing it. We don't. We think the options are expanding and options that didn't necessarily even exist 10 or 20 years ago exist now. And the idea of a powerful all-female firm is something that is a new idea, which is crazy, right? But it's something that really is very exciting to me. So I want to ask you, what would you tell, speaking of the female lawyers in the four walls right now, what are some tips and advice you would give this woman who is sitting there? If you are listening to this podcast, sister, we see you. What would you tell her now? What would be three or four things you would tell her? Well, first of all, I would tell her that the idea has been drilled into all of us that we're so easily replaceable and that that's why we have to sort of be silent, right? Because we're so easily replaceable and there's another one waiting in the wing. And that's not true. You know, you are making yourself indispensable. Make yourself indispensable every single day and stand in your power and then you will know that you are not replaceable. I had a really wonderful, to be honest with you, I had a really wonderful male mentor along the way at one of my early firms tell me just before I left for Skadden, say to me, you are indispensable here and you will make yourself indispensable there. And and he said it in the context of trying to keep me there, but it was really helpful to me because it made me realize, you know what? When I got to Skadden, I realized pretty quickly, it's what helped me advocate for myself for a maternity leave policy and a part-time policy that didn't exist because I thought they need me. And, and guess what? I tested that theory and it was right. And so that's one very important thing I would say. And I would also say that it may be that you are in the wrong area of the law. It may be that you're in the wrong place. It may not be that you need to leave the law entirely. Try to do it on the side. Um, try to take your adventures on the side. Join boards, join nonprofits, do volunteer work things that will help you experience life outside of the law firm. It's a very isolating world. I find it still, was still when I talk to people who have been in big law for a long time, is very, very hard for them to understand that there is a whole world outside of those four walls. You have to push yourself to step outside of those four walls so you can experience it. I tell a story in the book, and I've told this at events too. On my last day at Skadden, I went to a luncheon for all of those of us that were going on sabbatical. And the idea was you were taking the subsidized sabbatical. They got a lot of PR for it. So it was like great PR for the firm. And the idea was that you're going to go off and do like volunteer work and good PR for the firm. And then you're going to come back. And, you know, some people would self-select out and they'd avoid layoffs and blah, 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 blah. Well, the partner at this luncheon said to all of us who were gathered in the room, go off, do good work you know, shine a good spotlight on Skadden. And then we'll see you in a year and you'll all be back in a year. And the reason that I know you'll all be back is because when you get out there, you will find that the smartest, most interesting, most intelligent, most successful people you're ever going to meet are right here in these four walls. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, please let that not be true. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know yet. Like, if that was true. And I was like, please let that not be true. And I went out of my office and a friend came down who was not going on sabbatical. And he came in my office. He said, oh, how's the lunch? And I told him, what had I said, you're going to believe what just happened. And when I told him and he said, well, I think that's probably true. And I thought, oh my gosh, see, if you never leave here, you never find out that there's a whole world. And it took me, you know, 24 hours after leaving to discover really exciting, really interesting, really smart people out there in the world. But it's a place where, you know, a lot of lawyers, we tell ourselves like, I can't leave. I can't leave. Like, who would I be if I'm not here? But guess what? <laughs> We're the ones drinking that Kool-Aid one's telling herself that. And when you step outside of those walls, you actually find out there's a whole world of interesting, amazing, challenging 
people and experiences outside of those four walls. So I would say push yourself. (laughs) Yes, I would absolutely say. And I agree with you so much just to like tack on to what you said. That attorney identity piece is so huge to me. And this is exactly what happened to me. I mean, I walked away from the law thinking that I was just going to peel off one Band-Aid that was going to like solve a very uncomfortable situation and like leave and then move over to another situation that was going to alleviate all the friction. Well, it didn't because I had a complete identity crisis because I didn't know who I was if I wasn't Aaron Gurner, attorney at law or, you know, lawyer for whoever. And so I really think that that getting that still an intentional time with yourself and really asking yourself those questions of like, what do you really want? I mean, what do you want this to look like and feel like and be like five years from now, 10 years from now? I mean, we are women. We're leaving a legacy for the next generation. Like, what do you want that to look like? Not only for your kids of kin, but like your fellow sisters in the law and the women coming behind us. You talk about an obituary exercise in the book. And I would love for you to share that with our viewers, because I think while that sounds relatively morbid to say out loud, I think actually, you know, intentionally thinking about that exercise and reflecting on the legacy that you want to leave behind is very important. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. I totally agree. Yeah, I love it. This is something that my co-author, Liz Brown, taught me and has advocated for a lot. And it's such a brilliant exercise because it's really, it's literally, you know, forcing yourself to sit down and think about what is it you would want people to be saying about you in your obituary? What is it the thing? What is the thing you'd want people to be standing around at your funeral murmuring about? And when you really think about that, I mean, are you really happy with the caseload of case, you know, things you're working on, the issues you're working on? Are they the things that are moving your heart? Are they the things that you're really passionate about? Are those the things you want people to be talking about in your obituary? And if not, it's not too late. If you're writing your obituary, it's not too late to change that. So I think it's a really important exercise to really think about truly what's the legacy that you want to leave behind. And, you know, we all, when there is a tragedy, right, everyone who survives and everyone who's left behind has a little, you know, glimpse of their mortality. But you really don't have to wait for tragedy to strike, right? You can really just take a good hard look at how you're living right now and really figure out like, what is it you really want to leave behind? And is it the law? Well, exactly. Because the only commodity in this life that you cannot get more and you cannot buy more and you cannot earn more of is time. That is it. You can always earn more money. You can get another job. There are all of these things that are replaceable, but time is not. And if you are sitting behind a desk wondering if this is all there is, then the place to look is the first place to look is not externally because we like to blame our external environment. And to be sure, there are factors in the external environment that are contributing to our unhappiness. But the first step is, is to reflect inward. Who are we? Who do you want to be? What do you want your life to look like? What are your values? What do you stand for? What are your priorities? You know, the only expectation you need to be living up to is the one you set for yourself, not somebody else's expectation of you. And once you start to reflect on that, things become a little more peaceful. When we feel that friction in our our lives, it's because we're taking action that's out of alignment with what we truly believe in, our values, and what we prioritize in our life. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, you know, I don't advocate for leaving work. You know, I love working. I've always loved working. I've never stopped working ever since I left the law. 
And the interesting thing is I did a lot of research, especially when I started Lawyer Interrupted, the precursor to How to Leave the Law. That was the book that was commissioned by the American Bar Association. And I looked at a lot of different demographics of people who left the practice of law in a traditional way. And most everyone said they were very happy they left and they had no regrets. And the only regret is that they didn't do it sooner, right? Except for one demographic. The only demographic that regretted leaving the law when they did is the demographic of women who left to be full-time caregivers, not women who left to do work alongside their caregiving, but left to become full-time caregivers because in most cases, those women had been pushed out of a field and a career that they worked really hard for prematurely, right? There's one thing to leave it of your own free will, but there's another thing to leave it prematurely. And so that really bothered me. And that made me realize there's definitely this misconception, especially in big law, that women who become mothers or women who reach a certain age, don't want to work anymore. And it's not true. We want to work alongside our mothering. So I think that's something that's really important to note too. And it is. I mean, I cannot tell you how much guilt and shame I carried around for years because I was a woman who left law to go to full-time motherhood and was basically pushed out. Yes, I left of my own volition. I wasn't fired or anything, but I I didn't feel like I had any other choices. I didn't have a mentor or community to show me there was a different way to, you know, highlight anything. And so, you know, I walked away feeling like a failure, feeling like, oh, well, I must have to just go home and be a mom because I can't be a lawyer. I can't do like I'm not cut out for it. I can't hack it. And that was a lot of lies and stories that I had to unfairly coach myself through over the last couple of years. But you are exactly right. It wasn't until I read that in your book that I actually put those two things together because that's exactly what it was. I felt like I was prematurely forced out of a career that I had teed up for myself. So just shining light on that, I think is so important and to know that it is okay to want different and to do differently. Like I never wanted to stop working. I always wanted my own independent thing. I just didn't know I had another option. So I think it's just so important that there are books like that. There are people like you, there are podcasts on that are just slowly showing women the way. So showing women the way, if there is a woman who's contemplating going to law school, what would you say to her, Amy, today? My co-author, Liz and I, we talk a lot about that because I'm a fan of law school. I think it's a really, in theory, incredible training ground. I am a fierce advocate for alternative paths for law. I still don't think law schools are really there yet in terms of providing those. I think if uh, local bar associations are really good at those. And and of course, there is a whole field now of coaching uh, of, that's lawyers turned coaches, which I think is really wonderful. What I would tell a young lawyer is to carefully examine why it is you want to go to law school. I had no idea. I had no idea why I wanted to go to law school. And it turned out that I really loved, I really loved law school and I loved the training. I didn't love what I perceived as being the only available results to the path, but I think it is really great training and really interesting, a really interesting education. It's very different. You know, it's very different than grad school and MBA and you really train your mind and you really cultivate your analytical skills and your mediation skills and your negotiation skills in a very special way that is completely unique to other educational paths. But just be careful that you really sit down and take a good hard look at why it is you want to go to law school and what you want to do with it and realize that there are things you can do with that training other than go directly to a big law firm. Yes. I think we're reversing the lie. Like people used to say like, oh, you know, you can do anything with a law degree and all these lawyers would be like, no, you can't. You can only practice law. You know, they're like, you can do anything with a law degree. 
you can. I am telling yeah. you right now, it suits yeah. you up to like be a complete badass in this life because yeah. you are trained in so many different things. I run into so many of my clients who are doing so many things because we are very capable. We can have our hands in a lot of fires. We know we're smart. We know how to do a lot of things. And so we often end up doing all the things. Yeah. 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 And become exceptionally overwhelmed in the process. (laughs) And so it's like, just because we can doesn't mean we should. So, you know, it's very much exercising that as well. But I, I mean, I agree. I loved law school. I am an advocate for going to law school as well, but it's very much needs to be an informed process. Yeah. Talk to other lawyers. I had no lawyers in my family. I didn't yeah. know what this profession even looked like. Right. You know, I, it's funny. You list out all the reasons why people go to law school. I was like, well, those and those are not good reasons. Right. Right. I know. No, I know. It's true. It's the same way. Yeah. All right, Amy, what else do people need to know? What do you have in the works? What is coming up for you? All this kind of stuff. Our viewers want to hear. Well, it's funny because, you know, my first novel was published in 2014. And then I wrote five novels that really kind of set end to end, kind of represented. They were a little bit of a memoir of my first 10 years away from the law, a lot of things dealing with in contemporary fiction, but they were not legal fiction, right? I'd go to book clubs and book events and people would say, why don't you write legal drama? And I was like, I don't know. I, I mean, I was always a civil litigator. I always felt like that wasn't really the step of sexy legal drama. But I also just think it was too soon. It was too soon. And so it wasn't until 2020 during COVID that I started writing my first legal drama series. So now the first two books are out in her defense and bar none. And the hub of the stories, each book is a separate set of characters, a separate trial. But the hub of the stories is the River's Edge Law Club, which is, you know, this kind of brick and mortar old boys network There's always these unlikely heroines trying to get in the door of being left out and sort of coming up with their own solutions to sort of making an impact in the world around them. And so it's been a very exciting project for me. I absolutely love it. There's been a lot of film and series interest in the series. So I'm very excited about that. And in the meantime, I am also actually writing another standalone book, but it's still going to be legal drama. Like I really don't want to write anything else now, but legal drama. I feel like it's like a full circle you know, marriage of fiction and the law career. And it's very exciting for me. Oh my gosh, I feel that for you too, Amy. I love that. I didn't really know that that's what that series was about, but I dig that. So what's the third installments coming up? Have you written it yet? So there's four books in the series planned right now, but because the book is actually kind of under consideration right now for options, we're interrupting the series to sort of see how that takes shape. And I'm writing this standalone legal drama right now. So that's how it's awesome. Yeah. It's so what's this? What's the new legal drama about? Or do you know? Or can you tell? Yeah. Yeah, I can tell you. The working title is The Ghostwriter. And it is about a woman who was the ghostwriter and the lover of a bestselling author. And when their contract, when their writing contract ends, they break up. And she isn't going to actually out him until he goes public with a new book a new project that was actually something they worked on when they were together. And so there's a high profile defamation case. There's a high profile cease and desist case. And there's a lot of mystery and drama that's kind of unfolded. It's a book within a book. So that's kind of fun. It's a very fun project. It's very exciting. And and, um, I'm hopeful that it'll find a home soon. Well, that is really exciting. So when do you find that you're most creative? Like what's your most creative time to write on it? I just love how you tied all of your legal expertise and tied it all in with this like creative, fun storytelling thing that we never get to do in the law. 
And like, I now know. we get to like, you actually like know the logistics. It's like, you can watch Law and Order and be like, that's actually right. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, the funny thing is when I got my first book contract, so I started my first book when I first took my sabbatical in 2009, 2010. I didn't get a book contract until, I mean, the book didn't get published until 2014. So, you know, it took a while to kind of get that part of my life off the ground. And then when I did, I was so excited and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, then I got two book contracts and I had another book in the works and I like painted a room in my house and I was like, oh, I'm going to sit here and write and like look out the window for inspiration. Like I've never written in that room. Like that is not how it happens at all. It happens literally in the car. Like I do, I mean, when I'm working on a project, I do try to write so many words per week. And I give myself, you know, permission to kind of lock myself in my room. My kids are much older now. I've got teenagers. But, you know, I give myself permission to like lock myself in the room. It's not worked for me. The business of writing is really hard. But then again, I always say to people like, it's nothing like practicing law. So I feel like I was well prepared, you know. So writing for me is a respite. It is a therapy. It is really a joy. I actually just was talking with, do you remember Susanna Hoffs? She was the co-founder of The Bangles. And she just wrote her first novel. And I interviewed her on my podcast and she talked about how much hard work it is, but how much joy she found it. And I said, I relate to that so hard because those two things are so true for me. Like it's such hard work to write, but it's so much joy. So my time for creativity is like in the margins of my life, you know, and I, I write alongside other, a lot of other things and it works for me. <laughs> well, and I think that's really important for the viewers to hear because that's how, that's when I'm most creative too. Like we tend to overthink this whole thing. Like that's, yeah. Isn't it a very lawyer thing to do is like do the yes. whole thing and like set up the whole deal and like get the ambiance right and like do like check off all of the pretty box. Yes. And like, get yeah. right. So and in, to try and set up our time when in yeah. reality, it's just allowing and becoming aware of the thoughts and letting them come in and actually mean something instead of being so freaking on the go, you know, at 150 miles an hour that you can't hear yourself. Yeah. I tell people to drive in silence all the time. Yeah. If you can't, if you are like, oh my God, if you are the mom that is lawyer that is like, I literally don't have time to pee. Well, if you have time, if you're driving somewhere Turn off the radio. That is like the best therapy you can give to yourself today or this week. I started recording myself in the car. I don't know if you do that. Record myself and then have it dictated out. Yep. I do a lot of that too. Yeah. So a lot of things come to me in the car and you spend a lot of time in the car when you're a mom. Let's face it. Great minds think alike, Amy. I love it. (laughs) Okay. I always ask my guests two questions before we wrap up. So I'm going to ask you these two questions. The first one being, what is one thing you would tell your baby lawyer self? I wouldn't want to give too much away, honestly, but I would probably just say, you're never going to believe this, but you eventually get a road less traveled award. So that should just give you a little hint that this all works out. Okay. Exactly right. Golly, that's so beautiful, right? Like, isn't it incredible to look back? I did a podcast about this on my birthday because for a lot of years, we have a tendency as perfectionists and overachievers to look back and say, what have we not accomplished? What has not happened in the time frame in which I thought was, you know, all these things were going to happen when instead, when you look back and you turn back and you can see like, my God, look how far I've come. Could you have ever imagined that my life was going to be this blessed and I was going to have these opportunities? And it was because I tried. It was just because I tried and got uncomfortable. It's not because I knew it was just because I tried. And so just let that be so encouraging to all of you guys. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. It's just one step. And once you start taking the first step, the next steps start to reveal themselves. 
Okay, last question, Amy. What is your superpower? Um, You can only pick one. Now I'm telling you, I read up a really long bio. You can only pick one. (laughs) I'll tell you what it is. I know what it is. I say this a lot, actually, is that people underestimate me. And I use that for my, I use that for my advantage. And frankly, it fuels me. So it's definitely my superpower. Yeah. Golly, I love that. I've never actually heard anyone put it that way. And that is Uh, freaking empowering. It's like, all right, estimate me and then hold my glass of water, beer, wine, or whatever your beverage of choice is. I freaking love that. Amy, thank you so much for your time today. I just wanted to thank you for everything you're doing in this space. I really very much appreciate it. And it's really exciting. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really, truly appreciate it. You are just such a gift. And I can't wait for your next blockbuster. We can say I interviewed you win. Like it can be I interviewed you win. I've even got John Hancock in my book right here. So, I mean, we can frame that when you're famous. And it's pretty little, oh, the pretty little lies of the legal read. Oh, I love it. You need an extra? You got it. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning into the Powerhouse Lawyers podcast. If you loved this podcast, tag Amy and I on Instagram, on LinkedIn, or follow us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you have your podcasts. Amy, where can people find you? My website, amyampalazari.com. And I'm very active on Instagram too. Everything's my name, Amy Impalazari. So find me there. Thank you so much. See you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening into the Powerhouse Lawyers podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you loved this episode, I would be so honored if you left a review. And because I know you are the type of woman who wants to see other women win, be sure to share this episode with someone who needs it. By sharing it, you are empowering a fellow sister in the law to know that she is not alone, there is nothing wrong with her, and that she can build a life and career that she loves. See you next time.